Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh with today's encouraging word titled, Be a Faithful Witness. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you today. I love you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Let's say a prayer together. Lord, we ask you to come be with us. Speak to our hearts. Make sure no word of this uh, twists in any way. We just pray you'll draw us all into your heart and uh, reveal yourself to us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm speaking on the subject, Become a Faithful Witness. Now, here's a good point. If we want God to listen to us when we pray, we first need to listen to him when he gives us a command. And there's a verse in Zechariah where it says this, This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against one another. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or the words that the Almighty, the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. And the land they left behind them was so desolate that not, no one traveled through it. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. Two things I want you to notice. First, there is that climate change was brought about by sin and rebellion against God. And uh, you see, the accumulation of unrepented sins brings God's curse on the environment. Now, this is not being factored in by our society that believes whatever goes wrong in the weather... Uh, must be somebody else's fault politically. Uh, and they never realized that, you know, from the very beginning when mankind sinned, God cursed the ground and uh, it produced thorns and thistles for Adam. Well, I could get a whole separate sermon on that because if we want to save the planet from climate change, we better repent of our sins. Uh, it's You can't just blame it all on carbon or something. Now, the main truth here is that uh, when the Lord called to them, they didn't listen. And so then when he called, uh, when they called to him, he would not listen to them. So my first point is that Christians are praying, but are we obeying? So I'm going to read this scripture. And he said to them, it's talking about Jesus, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. That's Mark sixteen fifteen through 20 in the King James Version. Now, to go into all the world means to go into Walmart, Target, gas stations, quick stop markets, grocery stores, etc. What does every creature mean? It means every single person. So you could say uh, mean, ornery uh, people. They might be a real creature. Uh, who, who <laughs> Some of your political enemies, you might say, boy, they're a real creature. Well, it's talking about humans. You don't have to witness to raccoons. But it means that every single person, regardless of what they think, whether they're a communist or a capitalist or a, you name it, uh, God wants the gospel that Jesus loves them, died for their sins. There's a way to find forgiveness. They don't have to go to hell. They can all go to heaven and eternal paradise if they'll just believe in the deity of Jesus and accept him as their Lord. And, uh, and you know, that's the simple gospel. In the Old Testament, it was so difficult to get forgiven uh, with all the animal sacrifices. But now in the New Testament, just to ask Jesus to forgive you uh, and to receive forgiveness through his sacrifice on the cross. What a, what a marvelous thing that is. All right, now, we desperately need to hear 
uh, to hear the, we need God to hear the prayers of Christians for the United States of America. Huge problems are confronting our country. And to make it worse, we're very divided. So everybody would agree, I think, that our country needs more prayer than ever before. But what it really needs is answered prayer. Now, what if God was saying to the American Christians, if you will listen to me, I'll listen to you, but you aren't paying attention to my commands to witness, so I'm not going to listen to you. What if he said that? Well, I'm convinced that when we read what Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, somehow the vast majority of Christians are spacing that off, and even old-timers like me uh, need a fresh repentance and a fresh dedication to sharing our faith. All right? Now, what the Holy Spirit's been emphasizing to me is witness to every human being. Concentrate. See, look, folks, we can concentrate on obeying God or we can concentrate on who all the other people are we think should obey God. And, and, and I think it's very easy for us to say, well, uh, the governor isn't obeying God the way we want. The president isn't obeying God the way we want. So-and-so isn't obeying God. And God's saying all the time, honey, why don't you just check up on your own obedience first? And so... What are we going to do with the Great Commission? Are we going to space it off, or are we going to say, Lord, help me, I want to share my faith with people everywhere. Now, my second point, I want to tell you about a dream I had, and um, I rarely have spiritual dreams, but in my lifetime, I've had a few. Now, this was quite a few years ago. Uh, I determined if a dream is a spiritual dream from God, if it has a very clear meaning, and if the dream is unforgettable. Well, this one fits that criteria. Now, in this dream, I was in a military unit, and we had a fort, and uh, we'd stay in the fort all day, and then every night about 5 o'clock, we'd walk down a few blocks to the enemy's fort, and we'd shoot a few rounds at that fort. We didn't hit anybody or do any damage, really. Uh, we just thought we were, you know, making war against the enemy, and then we'd m march back to our comfortable little fort. Now, this went on night after night, and uh, I said to the commander, why don't I lead a company of, uh, of soldiers around the rear and attack from the rear while you attack from the front? We'll capture their fort and we'll win this thing. And the commander got really mad at me. Oh, he was offended. He got so angry and he wouldn't have anything to do with that. And then I thought to myself, you know, I woke up and realized we could attack the enemy from behind and capture their fort. What if they wake up and realize that they could circle around behind and attack our fort from behind and capture our fort? And then I woke up from the dream with this real ominous sensation that that's what the body of Christ has been doing when we say we're in a culture war. We have our little comfortable forts and the enemies had their little fort for several generations, and neither has done much damage to the other. But you see, now what's happening is that dream is being fulfilled. The left has figured out that they really can attack Christians from the front, from the back, and from the sides, and win completely. And I believe they're going for a complete win over Christianity. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're not supposed to try to win people to a political viewpoint. Rather, it's we, our job is to tell everyone there's forgiveness from sin and eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we're supposed to care. When people are dying without Christ, that's supposed to bother us. Now, our mission then is to tell everyone that God loves them and that his love for them is absolutely amazing. And if we'll do that, he will work with us and cause miracles to happen. And that is the truth. You don't have to be a real pseudo, super spiritual person to have signs follow you. You just have to tell people that Jesus uh, is God in human form, that he lived a per sinless life. He died uh, on the cross, and uh, his death then was an infinite sacrifice, paying off the sins of the human race. And he rose from the dead, and he is seated at the right hand of God. Now, if people will believe that and ask him to forgive them and be their Lord and Savior, then they'll be saved and will miss the vast judgment of God and, and the lost eternity. Now, my third point is that in the book of Judges, the angel of the Lord stopped helping the Israel because Israel would not obey. Now, this was a different time 
And uh, centuries before Jesus died and rose again, there was no way for demons to be cast out of people. So if you read the Old Testament, you'll never find even the most anointed prophet like Moses or Elijah, nobody cast a demon out of anybody. It wasn't until Jesus came along that demons were cast out of people, and then we are able to cast them out in Jesus' name. And that's one of the signs that follows believers. But when societies gave, them over, gave themselves over to idolatry, sexual immorality, and perversion, then they got very demon-oppressed, and, and that's why God uh, said, you know, the iniquity of the Amorites is now full. He waited something like 400 years before he sent Israel in, and then he told Israel, go in and completely destroy those seven nations that live in Canaan. They're so uh, filthy, so immoral, so idolatrous, so perverse, just destroy them all. And so that's what Israel was supposed to do. Well, Joshua led them to do that to quite a few cities, but then uh, the people were supposed to continue that. And if you'll read the first chapter of Judges, you'll find this phrase over and over, uh, but the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan. Uh, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Echo. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. So, you know, then in chapter 2, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of the place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord, Judges chapter 2. Now, I think we could say something like this, but the Presbyterians did not witness, the Methodists did not witness, the Pentecostals did not witness, the Charismatics did not witness. Now, true, some people do, but the vast majority of American Christians, in my humble opinion, aren't paying any attention to the Lord's command, and this is hindering their prayers. So here's what we're doing. We're crying out, oh, God, save us from the political left, save us from the socialists, save us from the communists, save us from the cancel culture. And meanwhile, God is crying out to us, Go tell the left how to be saved. Tell the socialists how to be saved. Tell the communists how to be saved. <laughs> Go tell every person how to be saved. And that would include all the people that live in tents. I don't know about where you live, but uh, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, from, from the whole West Coast, uh, it's just a, a growing population of people who live in tents all year round. And they're just camped out by roads and parks, and even in Eugene, I see people trying to set up tents in, in other people's yards. Well, they would qualify, wouldn't they, no matter what you think of them. Jesus said, go tell the gospel to every creature, so that would include them. Now, my fourth point is, why don't Christians witness? Well, I think I can give you two reasons, lack of love for God and lack of love for people. See, if we said, no, I don't witness because I'm afraid, yes, but if you had love for God and love for people, it would drive that fear out. Now, Jesus said this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Now, that's John 14, 21, and 23. Notice, if we'll obey his command, he'll manifest, he'll reveal himself to us. And if we keep his commands and love his word, then uh, he will reveal himself through us because it said, I'll come and make my home in him. That means, so the promise there, if we'll obey God, he'll reveal himself to us and through us. 
Now, excuses don't count. So we could say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to push my religion on anybody. They won't listen anyway. I'll get in trouble if I witness. I could get fired, evicted, canceled, blacklisted, etc. All those are excuses that won't stand in the presence of a holy God who commanded us to share our faith. Now, I know something about this because I got saved when I was 13. And the way you get saved is to believe Jesus is Lord and then... Uh, receive him. Don't wait till you die and hope that God will receive you. It doesn't work that way. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Well, I received Christ publicly in a meeting when I was 13, but then I was a secret believer for five years. Nobody knew I was a Christian. I didn't share that with anybody. And so two Christian girls found out that I was a Christian, and they invited me to their home for a prayer meeting for our high school because it was our senior year, and we'd never done anything to share our faith. Now, that very Saturday when I drove into their yard, they rushed out to tell me that our six A-Squad cheerleaders had just died in a plane crash. They flew back from a basketball tournament and uh, in a private plane, and it tried to land in a crosswind at the Rapid City, South Dakota airport, and uh, one wing was blown up, and it hit the, the other wing hit the ground, cartwheeled the plane, and it exploded, and they were burned beyond all recognition, just swept out into eternity. Now, we didn't know if they had faith in Jesus. We didn't know if they went to heaven or hell. And by the way, teenagers go to hell. I I know a lady, she's uh, 80-some years old now, but she used to be a dancer in Las Vegas, and she had a near-death experience where she actually went down into hell before the Lord brought her back up into her body, and she said, I thought I would see a bunch of old people in hell, but she said there were truckloads of teenagers being dumped into hell. Well... When those six popular girls died, we were so ashamed that we had never shared our faith. Oh, we were just convicted of God. Now, you know, in high school, there's a, sort of a pecking order, a social order. You got the most popular kids in second class, third class. <laughs> I don't know whether we were fourth or fifth class, uh, but we sure weren't the most popular but you see, if you're in Christ, you are the in crowd. You got to remember that. If you're in Christ, you are the in crowd. And we should have been sharing our faith, but we hadn't. Now, what I did then was just to really earnestly repent. And I would suggest that to every one of you. If you're not sharing your faith with anybody, why don't you consider that a really bad thing and repent? I pray the Lord will convict you of disobedience like he did me. All right, so then I promised the Lord I would share my faith. And I had a pastor help me make a scripture chain in a little New Testament. And I underlined John 3, 3, 5, and 7. Jesus said, you must be born again uh, to see the kingdom of God. You must be born of the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And I'd start with that, and then I'd take him to another scripture under at the bottom of the page. It would say, turn to page so-and-so. When we turned over there, it would have another verse underlined in red, like uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so I'd take him through about 12 scriptures, and then I was able to lead 12 students to Christ in about two and a half months. And so then I went into the ministry, and I have had thousands come to Christ. But you see, that's a long time uh, since it's fi it's about 53 years since then since I was 18 and uh, made that commitment to share my faith and and now I've just noticed in my own life you know I, I the last couple years I've been praying about it saying God I I don't have a very good method I speak to a lot of Christians but I'm not winning the lost I don't like this I want you to help me and now I've started, uh, I made two new tracks, and I've been passing these out on a daily basis and sharing my faith again. And I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm letting the Lord renew me as a soul winner as, and what the Bible calls a herald. That is, a herald is somebody that announces something. I want to announce to the whole world that God loves them and has made a way for them to come into the kingdom of God through the grace of Jesus Christ. 
Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, when we give out a gospel tract, that is a little paper that tells the story of the gospel. When we witness to sinners, what are we doing? We're planting. When we disciple a Christian, we're teaching them to obey. So the Great Commission in Mark says, go tell the gospel to every creature. In Matthew, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we have to witness to every, every person, see? But then once they become a Christian, we don't just drop them. We teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded, and that's called watering. You, you plant a plant. Of course, you've got to plant it first, but after it sprouts, it needs water. Well, I started witnessing because I could not love God and just disobey him and grieve his heart. You know, it wasn't my love for people that, that started me witnessing. It was the fear of the Lord. It was that conviction of sin. It was shame and disgrace for failing God. And, and then I really felt the huge weight of negative consequences. In other words, if we don't share our faith, people die and go to hell. We are supposed to bring them the good news. Now, in the 1970s, when I was in my early 20s then, to 20 to 30, I mostly brought children in on buses to church. And it took about one hour of visitation to get 10 kids on a bus. So every Saturday, I'd visit my bus route for five or six hours or more. And then I'd bring in a full bus on Sunday. Now, often... I would not feel like doing the bus route. In Oregon, it can get really rainy, you know, about two-thirds or three-fourths of the year, or it can be really hot in the summer. And sometimes there was a sporting event on on Saturday that I wanted to do. Sometimes it was hunting season. And so I would say, Lord, I don't feel like doing the bus route. What do you feel like? And, you know, Jesus always felt like doing that bus route. So then I'd pray this prayer, let me feel what you feel. Now, that is a very simple little prayer. But what if you were to pray that and say, Lord, I'd like to feel what you feel for lost sinners. Boy, I would challenge you. I challenge you, my dear friends. Why don't you pray that prayer? You say, well, if I pray that prayer, that'll mess up my whole life. I won't be able to live selfish anymore. I'll have to care about people. Yes, well, that's true. You wouldn't be able to live a selfish life anymore. However, you're not going to do too well in eternity if you live a selfish life down here. Don't you want a big heavenly reward? Don't you want to stand before Jesus and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant? All right, that's, uh, that's what I want. So, I challenge you to pray, let me feel what you feel. And because I kept praying that prayer, I led thousands to Christ in the 1970s. Now, I would bring them in on the buses, and then the children's pastor would teach them and lead them to Christ. But, you know, we were winning souls as a team. Now, I've been in the ministry over 47 years and I can just assume that I still feel what Jesus feels for people, but that's a dangerous, false assumption. We, as Christians, can completely lose contact and connection with what Jesus feels for sinners. You see, it's not something we attain and then keep on our own. I think it's a good description is we're like leaky buckets. We get filled with compassion and then it leaks out. And we need to be filled again and again. And so we need to pray that prayer regularly. I don't believe we graduate to a place of spirituality where we always feel what Jesus feels for people. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about apathy and indifference. There are two different things. 
And really, our own apathy and indifference are greater enemies than all our political foes put together. You say, well, these giant media companies, they're censoring, they're censoring us conservatives. Yes, but that's not your biggest enemy. Your biggest enemy is your own apathy and indifference, see, because their disobedience, uh, that's not your problem. Your problem is your own disobedience, okay? Now, apathy does not feel the pain of others and doesn't see their need and doesn't hear their cry. It's just oblivious to the spiritual needs of others or even their physical needs. They can be perishing all around us. So someone says, well, how many have died of COVID-19? You say, well, over 437,000 at this point, but I didn't die. My family's okay. So it's time to play a phone game. Now, see, that's apathetic. How about indifference? Indifference does see, and it does hear, hear, so it sees needs, it hears cries, but it doesn't care. (laughs) It can look right at huge needs, see them, and acknowledge that they have a need, but not care, and just walk away. Now, Christians could say this. We could say, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. Well, fine, all right, but what we don't admit is something like this. I don't hear, I don't see, and I don't care. How many of you know it's a lot easier to say I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do than it is to admit I don't hear, I don't see, and I don't care. You see, sins of apathy and complacency and indifference creep up on us unnoticed little by little. So my fifth point, desire to be a faithful witness. Join me and let's desire that. Now, the Bible says this in Psalms 89, like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. So the Bible calls the moon a faithful witness. Have you ever noticed the moon when it's full? Of course you have. It's something really beautiful about a full moon. And it's interesting that the moon always has its one side turns, turned towards the earth. Uh, we never get to see the other side of the moon. I've heard that it's filled with mountains higher than uh, Mount Everest all over the back side of the moon. But uh, it's always got this one face turned toward us. Now, so it's a faithful witness. And that's how we ought to be. We ought to always have our face turned towards the needs of people, so to speak. And then a full moon reminds us that we ought to be in full witnessing mode. We ought to witness all the time. And, and, and what a beautiful thing to be a full witness. Now, the Apostle John wrote this, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Revelation chapter 1. Now, Jesus has many titles, but one of them is a faithful witness. And we're supposed to be conformed to his image. We're supposed to become, by his grace, just like Jesus. And so God would like to say to us, well done, good and faithful witness. Now, I grew up on a cattle ranch in western South Dakota. And each year, we would move the cattle from a winter pasture Uh, to a summer pasture, which was about seven miles apart. And so we'd have a big cattle drive. And when you round up the cows from their pasture and they have their calves in the spring, so then you have to search extra hard to make sure some little calf isn't sleeping behind a bush or down in a draw somewhere. And uh, Dad would teach me, you know, ride, look really thorough, look really thorough. We want to get them all. Because if you left one behind, it would go looking for its mom and they can walk right through a barbed wire fence, those little calves, and then a coyotes would get them. So they'd be, they'd die if we left them behind. Now, Jesus doesn't want us to leave one soul without a clear witness. He wants everyone to hear that he loves them with an awesome love. Now, since I've rededicated myself to being a daily witness for Christ. And you say, how long have you since you did that? Well, just a couple of weeks, actually. But I've been passing out tracts several every day. 
I keep them in my car. If I go into a store, a quick shop, a gas station or someplace, I, I just offer them. I say, I'd like to give you a little Jesus loves you message. And uh, it's not about any church, but it'll make you really feel like Jesus loves you. And, you know, so far, every person has accepted it, and they've all said thank you. Well, uh, now that's easy enough. And I have this track called The True Story of the Rescued Rat. You remember that I've, if you've been my partners very long, that I've talked about that. Well, one time I, a rat was drowning in a swimming pool, and I... I saved him. I put a chair underneath him, lifted him out. But then, so I tell that story in this tract, but then I say what I did not do for the rat. I didn't take him home. I didn't let him wear my clothes. I didn't adopt him as my son. I didn't make him the heir of my estate. And But then I compare what God does for us in salvation. He gives us the robes of salvation. We feast with him. Uh, you know, he comes into our hearts and he says, I'll come in and and eat with him or dine with him and he with me. And uh, then he said, I've prepared, a, you know, there, in my father's house are many mansions and I'm going to come and take you to be with me and you'll live, live in my father's house. And then he's going to adopt us as, as uh, his heirs, as his children were adopted and then we're made joint heirs with Christ and we're also given power of attorney to use his name to conduct his business affairs in the earth. So I show the rat, uh, you know, looking at the adoption paper and the uh, power of attorney paper and, you know, and the uh, joint heir or the heir paper. And he's saying, wow, wow, wow. So it's a, it's a cute story. It's very, very loving. And it just shows so many aspects of God's love. And people really like it. And so it's non-threatening to give out See, now, folks, we got to get back to witnessing and we need to start somewhere. So that makes a good, a good place to start to, uh, to give people a little uh, uh, wonderful message about God's love. And it does have a spiritual warning in it. It talks about now you don't want to drown in the pool of sin because then you'd end up in the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. So call out to Jesus. But then, uh, you know, Jesus is going to put his nature in you. He's not going to rescue you like a rescue rat. Uh, he's going to make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. All right. Now, uh, I like being a minister. See, I love, I love being in the ministry. But mostly I've just been ministering on Sundays and then when it comes to sending out our forgiveness book to prisoners, and during the week I might package up, uh, you know, several boxes of 30, might send out over 100 books a week. Well, that feels like ministry. But now it also feels like ministry when I, uh, when I hand out, uh, you know, I just took some stuff to a... Uh, well, we call it a dump. You know, there's a lady that charges you a fee and you go in and, and th put some your extra trash into this uh, big old bin, you know. And uh, so I gave her one of the rescued rat tracks today, see. And uh, I also gave one out in a store called Bymart. Well, then what happens is you feel like a minister every day. And you'd become a faithful witness like the moon, all right? Uh, in other words, it's just a beautiful thing. Now, I want to tell you some great soul-winning experiences, but uh, a lot of these are from years ago, and I need some new stories because, you know, if you fish in the bathtub, you don't catch many fish. And so when you're preaching in church all the time, you're mainly watering your it's a great thing to water people and teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. But I'm, I, uh, my experiences with the lost have been limited. And now, uh, soon I believe I'll have a whole bunch of new stories. But anyway, I've got some great stories to tell you. Now, Jesus said to the Ephesian church, remember, he uh, appeared to John on the island of Patmos and gave him uh, messages for seven churches. And he said to the Ephesian church, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Well, that stirs my soul because the works I did at first were all evangelistic. 
and uh, or most of them anyway. Now, I remember driving through a trailer park looking for kids to sign up to ride my bus, and I saw a little girl with Down syndrome. And I started to drive by her, and a strong thought beamed into me, she's somebody's baby. I suppose that was the Holy Spirit. So I pulled the car over, and I signed her up to ride my bus, and it turns out her grandmother was dying of cancer and in the hospital. So I went up to visit the woman. She had a tumor in her stomach the size of a football. And uh, I was able to lead her to Christ. And when I left that hospital room, she spoke and said, It was so dark before you came. It's lighter now. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I, another story. I don't remember who signed up this little girl. Her name was Tammy Edgman. It could have been me, I don't remember. But uh, when we got her to church, the children's pastors made an altar call and so many kids came forward, they'd divide them up in little groups and a lady named Starling McDaniels was praying with a group of little girls. And uh, she said to them, pinch your nose. And then she said, now pinch your ear. And then she said, now pinch the part of you that laughs. Pinch the part of you that cries. And she said, see, that's your spirit. That's the real you. That's the part of you that Jesus saved. And if you'd ever die, you'd go right to heaven to be with Jesus. Now, this little eight-year-old girl went home to a you know, divorced home, so she was staying with her mother, and she said, Mama, pinch your nose. Now pinch your ear. Now pinch the part of you that laughs. Pinch the part of you that cries. That's your spirit. That's the real you. That's the part of me Jesus saved, and if I should ever die, I'd go right to heaven to be with Jesus. Now, her parents were divorced, so after a while, one of those weekends, she stayed overnight with her dad, and she went through the same thing. Daddy, pinch your nose, pinch your ear. Now pinch the part of you that laughs, pinch the part of you that cries. That's your spirit. That's the real you. That's the part of me Jesus saved, and if I should ever die, I'd go right to heaven to be with Jesus. Now, a few weeks later, little Tammy drowned in Alton Baker Park. And both parents came to church together and walked forward and prayed and asked Jesus into their hearts. And they were remarried. See, I learned that uh, kids are the good ground of Matthew 13. If you put the seed on a little kid, it'll sprout every time. If you leave them alone, they won't stay good ground. They'll turn into... Uh, Weeds will grow in the soil of their heart, and then they'll have to be plowed with the plow of repentance. But I learned this. Kids are connected to broken adults. And I learned this. Broken adults are connected to the whole world. So I have many stories where well, I'll stick with the ones I've got and not, and not add any new ones here. The sermon will become too long. Now, uh, one time I visited some little boys, and I said, where's your mama? They said, she's not here. She's in the hospital. She got run over by a car. So I went to the hospital, and that lady had been blinded by the accident, and three doctors told her she'd never walk again. I do not remember what I said to her, but I prayed for her, and at that time in my life, I had no special healing anointing. Now, for many, many years since July of 1993, I've had a tangible fire anointing in my hands. So I've had hundreds of people healed, but that was not in my life at that time. I just told her that Jesus loved her, and I prayed for her in Jesus' name. And when I walked out of the room, the Lord healed her eyes. Now, that's an example of Jesus said, they'll, you know, they'll... Uh, you go testify about me. And then he said that the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with the signs that followed. See, so that's what he did. He's the one that did the miracle. Now, when her eyes were open, she got her sight back. She said, if he can give me, if Jesus can give me my sight back, he can make me walk again. And she believed God. And you know what? I saw her walk from the bottom of Autzen Stadium to the top. Uh, it's a huge football stadium, and she climbed up all those stairs. Not only could she walk again, she climbed Autzen Stadium with no cane. <laughs> That's a great story. Well, 
You see, any of you could be used to do a miracle if you'll just tell people Jesus is God in human form. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He paid the price for you can be forgiven. And then pray for any of their needs and don't worry about whether you're spiritual enough. Uh, Just pray in Jesus' name and remember that the Lord will work with you and confirm with signs following. All right? Now, one night I was going to teach an evangelism explosion class and I'd made packets up for all the team members, and they were filled with about five cards apiece with addresses and names of people who had visited our church. And uh, nobody came to my class that night, but I called one guy, and he said, I got off work late. I can't come to class, but I'll go out with you, so come pick me up. So we started. Now, that night, I think we went to five homes, and either they were gone or it was inconvenient for them to ask us in, and they wouldn't let us in. And then it got to be five minutes to 9 p.m., which is very late to show up at somebody's door. And we had one card left, and we were thinking, you know, this whole night's been goofed up. It's just just a waste. Should we just scratch it off, try to forget it? And I think one of us said, I can't remember if it was me or him, but we said, you know— there's only one card left. Why don't we give it our best shot? If, if, it, if it doesn't work out, then we will have done everything we could do. And so we drove up to that house and knocked on the door a little after nine, and they let us in. And that night, we took turns giving points of the gospel message, and we led Pat and Jean Burgess to Christ. And when we prayed the sinner's prayer and they asked Jesus into their hearts, He started laughing for joy, and she started crying. (laughs) Now, he became one of my bus captains, and then he injured his back, and the government paid him to be retrained in a new profession. So I trained him how to run a bus ministry and, and trained him for six months just doing everything I did. And then he got a job at a church in Tacoma, Washington, and uh, and stayed there for a while and ran a bus ministry. But then he became a pastor, and he's pastored in Sioux City, Iowa for many years and oversees several hundred independent churches around the world. He travels, I don't know, five or six international trips every year, uh, you know, just ha- has uh, raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for missions. What a great story. I'm so glad And then, you know, he has led so many people to Christ, and they've led people to Christ. It'll be interesting to see how many people are in heaven because of that one night where me and another man said, you know, there's one card left. Let's give it our best shot. Now, when I pastored in Omaha, Nebraska for 15 years, I had a tract called You'd Make a Marvelous Christian. And we still have those in print, but they need to be reprinted because all the cartoon people, all the drawings are just white. And uh, now the the art has been put in color so that one's dark-skinned, one's kind of medium, and then one is white-looking, which will make it more uh, interracial. But anyway, I handed this young lady in a garden store, a young blonde lady, handed her this tract, You'd Make a Marvelous Christian. And then I had my name and phone number on the back, and she called me and she said, I'm a Satanist. I drink human blood. I have 10 spirit guides. They're animal spirits given to me in Indian ceremonies. I tell fortunes by casting bones. She said, do you think I'd make a marvelous Christian? I said, I know you'll make a marvelous Christian. (laughs) And I was able to lead her to Christ. And later, I performed her wedding to a young man who had also come out of the occult. Now, that red tract was my very first uh, publication, when, when we that was ever printed in a printing press, and and now all these years later, we've two hundred and fifty thousand of those have been printed. But I can hardly wait to reprint it. I'm going to make it a little bit bigger, a little bit larger type, have it all in color now, and uh, and the skin tones, of course, will will make it look interracial. So then I'll have a third really powerful tract to use. <coughs> And I'm hoping then I can, uh, you know, just get Christians everywhere to sharing their faith on a daily basis and giving out these little messages of love. And we'll see what wonderful things God will do. Now, I remember 
talking to a lady, and I was asking her if she'd like to accept Jesus as her Savior, and she kept saying, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And I had one of those little tracks with me, and so I asked her to read the back panel out loud, and in that panel, Jesus is pointing at someone, and the panel says, that brings us to you. And Jesus is smiling while he's pointing. So she started to read the tract, and it says, do you think you are so special that I can't make a great Christian out of you? Are you the only one that I can't do a miracle with? Is your weakness too great for my power? Do you think the sin stains in your heart are too great for my blood to cleanse? I am Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The power that changed Simon the Reed into Peter the Rock is extended to you now. Put all your trust in me. I am the author and finisher of your faith. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always. If you hear me knocking at your heart's door, let me in. And when you do, I promise I will come in and take up residence there. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Drink freely of the water of life. Just follow me, trust me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And then she started to cry, and we led her to Christ right there. Now, friend, wouldn't it be wonderful for God to have, uh, to take this message, get you to asking, Lord, let me feel what you feel, and have you use a method, uh, everything you know about God is your box of thread, but to get the message into people, like to get the thread into people, you need a needle to get thread into cloth. And in the same way, you can know everything about God, and but if you don't have a method, you'll never lead anybody to Christ. So giving out tracts, of course, to people, telling them Jesus loves them, giving them a loving printed message is one method, but it's very easy and everybody could do it, all right? So it, then you could, God could show you additional methods. Now, my seventh point, what an honor it is to be a faithful witness. And Jesus said this, he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. There'll be terrors and great signs from heaven. Before all this, they'll lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they'll put to death. You'll be hated by all, by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you'll gain your lives. Luke chapter 21. Now notice Jesus here. Uh, you know, this is his mentality. He's, it, it, and the way we should think about this is, is oh, wow, I'm being arrested and I'm going to be brought before the governor. I would hardly ever be able to get an appointment with that governor. Now I have an opportunity to share my faith with the governor. Now, that's what Jesus said our attitude should be. It's, it's when you're arrested to be brought before kings and governors, that's your opportunity now, how many of you think maybe us Christians, we're all fearful. We're thinking, oh, I hope that never happens. I hope I'm never arrested and brought before. Just get to be a faithful witness. And then if you ever are uh, brought uh, before somebody, you know, for the sake of Christ, you'll be all ready to count it as an opportunity. Well, I, uh, I remember one time, I had I was taking a team, you know, to witness to people in their homes, and and two people were with me. And this one lady, I asked her, I said, uh, "Do you know that it, you'd go to heaven if you died?" And she said, "I I know I'd go to hell. I know I wouldn't go to heaven. I'd go to hell." She was very very honest, and so I said, "Well, could we tell you how to know for sure you'd go to heaven?" And she said, "Of course. Please tell me." So we explained the gospel, and when we prayed with her. Her face literally became radiant. And, uh, and when we left that house, I said, oh, man, this gospel is so neat. I want to tell the whole world. Well, 
That's why we want to get messages like this into uh, Spanish, for instance, and other languages. You see, God still loves sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the people all over the world. Every kind of person, even if he has to call them a creature, he loves them. Now, here's something I've been thinking about a lot. God called the Apostle Paul to go to Rome, and the angel of the Lord said, "Not you're going to testify in Rome to Caesar himself. And if I understand history right, that was one of the worst Caesars ever, perhaps the worst. He was Caesar Nero, the most vicious persecutor of Christians. So why would God give an opportunity like that to his, what we could, maybe we could say Paul was the top apostle. He wrote more books in the Bible than any other apostle, 13 books of the Bible. You could say, wow, does God, is he crazy? Why would he waste one of his great apostles on a mean old ornery uh, Roman Caesar that's just uh, full of the devil? Well, that shows you that God cares deeply about every person, and he's willing to spend a top apostle to get the message to even someone like that. He really doesn't want anyone to perish. Now, Caesar, of course, didn't believe the message. However, Paul wrote before his death, all the saints here in Rome greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So Caesar didn't make it to heaven, but uh, some of his household did. My point is that we're expendable. All that counts is that Jesus be glorified. Every person needs to hear the good news. Every person must have a chance. And uh, we don't have to stay safe like the Apostle Paul didn't shun the opportunity to speak to the Caesar himself. My eighth point is that watering is important, of course. Now, in the Great Commission, I told you this already in Matthew all authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, not seed, not just converts, but disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, that's what I've been doing so much of over the years is teaching people, making disciples. I want to tell you about frog egg evangelism. Now, how many of you know frogs lay thousands of eggs and only a very few mature into a, a, a full frog, full maturity? They just lay the eggs and go off and there's no parental care. And frog egg evangelism is when you just, you know, if you got a convert and then you never paid any attention to him, you just hope, well, I hope he makes it. And Jesus doesn't want us to do frog egg evangelism. So when we win somebody, he wants us to disciple them. So planting alone isn't the deal. You want to plant and then you want to water the new convert with teaching. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. And so, you know, I've been watering like crazy as a teacher for years. But now the Lord is stirring me up to do planting as well just throughout my day. It's not difficult to say, hey, I'd like to give you a little Jesus loves you message. I think you'll enjoy the story. And it should reveal to you how much Jesus loves you. Now that's easy enough to do. Now, in conclusion, let's see here. I want to, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the book of Genesis where Isaac had to redig some wells that Abraham had dug, but the Philistines had stopped them up. I think, you know, we can have a well of soul winning in our life, and then over the years it can kind of get all plugged up somehow. And I'm 
asking the Lord to really reopen the evangelistic passion that Jesus had put in me in the beginning so that I will be a faithful witness as well as a faithful teacher, <laughs> okay? Now, I have another uh, book that I wrote that is the gospel itself of how to receive the life of God, but it's like 28 pages. So now I condensed it into a single tract, one piece of paper folded in half from top to bottom, folded in half left to right. Again, opens like a book, then opens like a poster. Artwork is all color. doesn't have any staples in it, so it can be used in prisons. And, uh, you know, God is renewing my passion, not only to get that printed in English, but to get it into many other languages around the world. It'll be so much easier than trying to get a booklet printed or a booklet translated. My last point in this message is that God has never blessed disobedience. Now, in the book of Judges, Deborah called Israel to go to war against the Canaanite king Jabin, who was oppressing Israel. And this evil king had 900 iron chariots, a weapon that Israel didn't have. But God drew the battle into a river valley, and then he made a flash flood come and an earthquake so that the valley became very muddy and the heavy iron chariots were a liability in battle. And the head of the enemy army had to jump off of his chariot and run on foot. There's only one reason you'd do that. Your chariot would have to be stuck in the mud. So after the great victory happened, uh, Deborah sang a song in the spirit about how the people marched down with me against the mighty. And he said, from Ephraim, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kin kinsmen, and Maker marched down, and Zebulun, and the princes of Issachar. But then she began to sing about the people who didn't go to battle. And she said, among the clans of Reuben, there was great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there was great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, stained by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. That's Judges chapter 5. So God's keeping track of who will follow him into the spiritual battle to win souls and who's just staying behind and not doing anything. Now, we don't want to be listed in the wrong list. And then Deborah repeated words that she heard an angel say, and the angel said, Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Well, God blesses obedience, but he can curse disobedience and it's a dangerous thing to just uh, ignore his word and not care while people are dying and going to hell all around us. Now then, Deborah finally sang about a woman named J.L. who hid Sisera, the commander of the army, in her tent. But then when he went to sleep, uh, she drove a tent bag through, through his temple and uh, killed the enemy commander. And so uh, Deborah sang, most blessed of women be jail. And why? Because she got involved in the battle. And uh, God can use, you might say, but I'm just a little woman. I'm just a little, well, you know, I'm just a little person too. But we could all get involved in the spiritual battle and say, Lord, I want to be obedient. You said, tell the gospel to every creature. I want to do that. I want you to let me feel what you feel for people. And Lord, give me enough boldness and braveness that I could at least hand out a tract to somebody and say, this is a Jesus loves you message. I hope you enjoy it. Now, as I conclude this message, I'm looking for spiritual investors who will help me get these three different tracts into print. See, I want to print 15,000 copies each because once I get them into print, I can keep them into print. All the sales will just be put back in the reprinting fund. <clears throat> so there's not a single profit motive here. I won't be making any money off of this. The first one will be the true story of the rescued rat. We have $1,500 for that right now, and we need four more people to give 
250. So we need another $1,000. That will pay to print 15,000 and the shipping. From then on, I can keep that track in print. Now it'll only cost $1,500 to get 1,500 of the best news ever because it's a standard sheet of paper. It's not eight and a half by 14, it's just eight and a half by 11. And then I don't know uh, what it will cost, you know, for that third track called You'd Make a Marvelous Christian, but I'm assuming that I could get 15000 for $2,000 or so, and I have to get it typeset as well. Now, Pastor Kevin Lindley told me he read a statistic that only 2% of Christians ever lead anyone to Christ in their entire lives. Folks, we can do way better than that. Everybody could give out a loving gospel tract that shows the way to salvation. You can keep them in your car like I do. And when you go into a store, just decide you want to witness to people every day. So far, everybody has thanked me. Now, at this time, you know, there's many different variants going across the world to this COVID-19 virus. And the whole world is wondering about their mortality and they're thinking about life and death. So it's really a great time. Perhaps that's one of the reasons everybody is thanking me. And then God will direct us how to show love to people in practical ways. But, you know, we can't forget words. The angel that appeared to Cornelius, uh, a, a Roman soldier that was in charge of a hundred soldiers. He was a centurion. And the angel said, send for Peter and he will tell you words whereby you and your household will be saved. Send for him and, and, uh, and listen to his words. So we can't just show good examples. We've got to use words. We've got to preach the gospel to every person. Now remember, what you know about God is your box of thread, but your needle to get the thread into the cloth is your method and if we don't have any method, we'd never do win souls. So this is a method, a tract ministry. I feel very strongly that God has given me the ability to write these tracts, and uh, I need some people who will uh, chip in and help me get three going. I could probably write more, but we'd have three absolutely marvelous productive tracts. And, you know, the best news ever tracked is uh, field-tested. 279,000 copies of that booklet that it's based on have gone into 17 languages. So it's led thousands of people to Christ. So these are going to work. No problem. They're going to work. Now, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's where I get the massive glory to God is from Jesus' words. You'll bear much fruit. But you see, part of his word is go preach the gospel to every creature. And that's supposed to abide in us if we say, oh, I want to ask him for everything I wish and have him grant it. Uh, but then Jesus says, well, wait a minute. Now, my word there is not abiding in you. You've been ignoring that. How can you say my word abides in you when you don't seem to care enough to share your faith with anybody? So, see, that challenges me because I try my very best to live the Word of God and drink it in and obey it all, which is my joy. I love to. But I feel a whole lot better sharing my faith than during the week with people than just preaching in churches on Sunday. Now, remember, before Jesus went back into heaven, the disciples said, Lord, are you going to, when you pour out the Holy Spirit, are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to restore the kingdom? Are we going to get a political savior finally? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. The Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I like to say it, you'll be my witnesses locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. And I don't know what God will do in the political uh, things of this world, but I don't have to know that. What I really have to do is have the power of the Spirit on me so that I am a faithful witness. Now, I'm going to pray for you right now. I pray that God will let you feel what he feels for the lost. 
I pray that he'll fill you with love for himself so that you'll want to obey and please him. I pray that he will fill you with love for people, even very wicked ones like the Roman Caesar. I pray that it will be written in heaven's records that you followed the Lord Jesus into a New Testament type of battle for souls. I pray that your name will not be recorded with the apathetic and complacent. And I pray that you will be like the moon and like Jesus, a faithful witness. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Now, dear friend, go and tell the good news of eternal life in Christ to every person on earth. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon 97426.